we've created Ticker, the death watch that counts down your life, just so you can make every second count. Ticker is a wristwatch that counts down your life from years to seconds and motivates you to make the right choices. Realize that seconds, days, and years are passing never to come again. $79 plus $5 shipping on Amazon, by the way, if you want to, if you want to buy Ticker and Death Watch. It is not a fake ad. Uh, I, I thought it was, but it is not. Uh, you can actually purchase this. And by the way, I do these things to supplement my pastor's salary, product placements, and sermons. So any, any help you could give would be fantastic. Not, not true. Our, 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 actually, we're at the point in Acts right now where our focus will be on various kinds of investments we can make in response to the good news about Jesus. Specifically, how we invest in other people. So next week, how we might invest our treasure in response to the gospel. We're going to see that in Acts 16. The following week, November 15th, we're going to talk about how we might invest our talents in response to the gospel, Acts 17. This week, how we might invest our time in response to the gospel. So time, treasure, talent. We begin with our investment of time, which is fleeting, right? That watch, if nothing else, as I learned about it and looked it up online, reminded me that even if I don't have it on my wrist, there's only a certain amount of time every day, every week, every month, every year, and it is tick-tocking all the time. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 30. Acts chapter 15, verse 30. 30. It's going to be on page 791 if you're using one of the Bibles we are provided for you. If you don't have a Bible, we have some of these chair pockets at the end of the aisles. Please grab it, share it, even take it home if you don't have one at home. We'd love for you to have it. Page 791, Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 30. We're now uh, over two full months into our study of reflection and application of Acts of the Apostles. So I just want to take some time for a minute just to review In full view of the apostles, Jesus Christ lived the perfect life we could not. He died the death we deserved, and he was raised to life so that we might have life in him both now and forever. This is the gospel that is the good news that can save every single one of us in this room. One way to think of it, the gospel, is that in the middle of our struggle to win acceptance in life, The referee blows the whistle, announces the end of the competition. We're all declared winners, and everyone can head to the showers. It's over for all the huffing and puffing to earn God's favor because Jesus earned it for us. It's finished for all the sweat-soaked straining to secure self-worth because Jesus strained blood-soaked on our behalf to make us children of our Father. He did what we could not. Jesus' work means that God is now on our side and we are victors no matter how well we've played this game called life. God is for us and we are the winners through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the message these apostles have believed in, have seen lived out in Jesus and are now going to all the world to share because that's what Jesus asks in response. He asked these apostles to invest what limited time they have in people with this same good news 
that they might be saved just by trusting the God-man Jesus Christ. And so they go. The Bible says it in different ways in John 21, Matthew 28, Acts chapter 1. He says Jesus says in different ways after he's resurrected from the dead, but it all leads to the same thing. I am with you. Now go and make disciples. I will be with you all the way when you go and do that. So we've been examining all the ways the apostles and the early church act to invest in other people with the good news. So they, we've seen that they share the gospel. They heal to show the gospel. They endure persecution because it's, it's worth it if more people hear the gospel. They listen and they repent when their thinking isn't in line with the gospel. And they pray because of the power of the gospel, because Jesus is risen from the dead. And so their, their prayers matter because God hears them directly and acts so that more people might trust him and become new creations. This is how they spend their lives, tick-tock, tick-tock, investing in others with the good news about Jesus such that many trust in him. Now, 12 to 15 years in, Jesus has thousands of followers or disciples. And for the first time, the church faces the question, should we keep focusing on making more disciples or should we strengthen the current ones? A similar question, a similar way we might ask this today is, do I invest my time in my Christian relationships, or do I invest in my non-Christian relationships, right? With a limited amount of time, with all that we have to do in life, as we see in our story today, the answer to both questions is yes. New disciples or current ones? Yes, invest in both. Christian friendships, non-Christian friendships? Yes, and both, let's read together Acts chapter 15, verse 30. We're going to read through chapter 16, verse 10. So, when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. That is Judas and Silas. When they read it, the people rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. After they spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. These are two other church leaders. We've already heard about four church leaders. Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. After some days, Paul says to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord, the gospel, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and they sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went, Paul did, through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him, he circumcised him because the Jews were in those places, for they all knew his father was a Greek. They went their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. In other words, that same letter 
That was referred to earlier. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them to go there either. So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging them, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them also. This is God's word. Uh, These aren't the most memorable moments in the book of Acts. Let me just be very honest with you. Uh, People rarely talk about the dynamic duo of Judas and Silas, nor is Paul's strategic ministry declaration to Barnabas, let's go and strengthen the disciples in the cities we visited. It's not etched into pillows of your grandmother somewhere on their sofa, right? Neither is uh, Paul's sort of recruitment of Timothy to go with him through all these regions of various places commemorated in children's storybook Bibles. These aren't the moments you're probably going to remember from Acts, but what I hope you do remember is a pattern that we see here in this section of God's Word, and it's this. Deliberate decisions to strengthen current disciples, followed by going out to make new ones without getting distracted by other issues that would distract you and me, that would typically distract you and me. So let's examine together this pattern, this this strengthening the churches that have already gathered, then going out and making new disciples without getting distracted. And we'll kind of see how, how how in the heck this church made such a such a deep and wide impact in the world around them. So for strengthening current disciples, Judas and Silas travel back to deliver an important letter to the largest church in the world at this time, Antioch. It is like the mothership of all churches, the megachurch of this day and age. Antioch is a church where Christians are first called Christians because The people there, the disciples there, so identify with Christ through their lives, through the way they live in front of other people, that people start saying they are like Christ. They are little Christ. They are Christians. Antioch is increasingly multi-ethnic, which is a sign of its rich vibrancy and health, right? Because when you have multiple kinds of people from multiple backgrounds who are able to get along and love and share Jesus It's a great sign that Jesus is the center of those relationships. He's the strongest bond between unlikely friends. That is Antioch. Antioch had already received consistent training from Paul and teaching and encouragement from Barnabas for well over a year. And yet despite all these things, tremendous health, radical identification with Christ, lots of training and encouragement, we see that the disciples go back there. And my point is just this. Even mature Christians need the investments of other people. They need to be invested in. Even long-time Christians need to be encouraged with the timeless gospel. And that's what, by the way, this letter was all about. It's the gospel. This letter is referred to a few times. And if you weren't here last week, you'd be confused about that. This letter was an affirmation of what Jesus has done for the people of the world. It's an affirmation that Jesus lived the perfect life we could not, died the death we deserve, and was raised to life so that we might have life in him now and forever. That's what this letter was all about. 
saying that what Jesus has done is enough for salvation, to make you right with God and give you life forever. As we learned last week, some people got confused about this. They said, hey, wait a minute. That's fantastic, this good news about Jesus. But first, it's really important that you do some religious deeds to let us know that you've really cleaned up your life and trust Jesus to make sure you're really right with God. And so they assigned a couple specific religious deeds. For them, it was basically making sure you're circumcised and do you eat only kosher foods. But today, similar things happen in churches all across the world where people are basically suggested to, uh, told directly, inferred that, yeah, it's great if you trust in Jesus, but if you trust in Jesus and don't drink, that makes you really right with God. Or if you trust in Jesus and go to this kind of church, it makes you really right with God. Or, or if you trust in Jesus and go to X number of church meetings during the week, that earns you extra credit with God. Or if you have a certain type of spiritual gift, that makes you more pleasing to God. And this letter said, no way. We cannot affirm. It's, it's an emphatic no to our own striving to please God. Our own additions to the gospel and guys, a clarification of the gospel is exactly what every Christian needs every day to get strengthened. We need to be thinking on, hearing, reading about the perfect life of Jesus Christ, my inability to live that life, and a solution to get that life. Every day, perfect life of Jesus, my inability to live that life, a solution to get that life. And through that we'll find the life of Jesus, his death, and his resurrection the gospel story. Considering each day the love, the compassion, the integrity, the truth, the selflessness of Jesus. Facing up to my inability to live that kind of life, which is why Jesus not only lived for me, but also died for me. Guys, when I think about the cross of Christ, and I look there, and I think of it, and I hear about it in songs, I consider it in my heart, my first thought is, that should be me. Like, why is he there? It should have been me, and yet it wasn't. Jesus' resurrection from that gruesome death means I get credit for Jesus' right record of living. It's like I get Jesus' report card. The report card, he lives in front of God, and it's all straight A's, and he gives it to me. I get his resurrected life flowing through my veins. I get his living presence dwelling inside of me so that what I do matters What I say to others matters. What I pray actually matters because I have God, the resurrected God living inside of me. This letter affirmed this good news and and it's what re-energizes these leaders of the early church to reinvest in the people of God. Look at chapter 15, verse 35. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Because they needed it. They needed to hear the gospel again and again. Verse 33, chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas. Remember, they've been away for two years already making new disciples. But here they come back and they remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. Paul, having seen the fruit of strengthening current disciples in Antioch, he says to Barnabas in verse 36, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God. Let's see how they're doing. Barnabas took Mark with him. They sailed to Cyprus. Why Cyprus? No doubt to strengthen the disciples who were made there by Paul and Barnabas just a couple years earlier. 
they went to this little island to make disciples. So Mark and, and, and Barnabas go back to strengthen him with the gospel. Chapter 16, verse 4 and 5. I just want to hammer this home. Paul, Timothy, Silas went their way through the cities delivering this gospel-affirming letter. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith. They, see, invested their time in strengthening Christians. And that was important. But they also spent time making new ones. Notice that pattern. They would come in, strengthen Christians, but they would never stay. They would go out together to make new Christians, make new disciples, and share the gospel. Judas and Silas, chapter 15, verse 33. After they'd spent some time with those disciples, notice they were sent off in peace. It was as if the church leaders knew, okay, you've been here, you've been sharing with us as a church, that's awesome. We want to pray for you and encourage you. Now go off again. We want to see you share the gospel with more people, make new disciples. That was the pattern. Chapter 16, verse 5, churches were strengthened. What else? They also increased in numbers daily. New disciples were made. God leads Paul and Silas back to multiplying as well to make new disciples. Chapter 16, verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Remember, they tried to go various places, but a vision came in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there urging them, saying, reminds me of Obi-Wan Kenobi at this point. Like He was just saying, like, come visit us. Uh, okay. Come over to Macedonia and help us. This man says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them also. So you see this pattern. There's this strengthening of fellow Christians, and then it's just going out to make new ones. So as you reflect on how you invest your time, the limited time available to you, I want us to recognize not only the pattern but the divine possibility that you can invest yourself simultaneously in Christian and non-Christian relationships. The curious co-worker, the, the skeptical spouse, the, the roommate who seems just lost and sad, but also your children who trusted Jesus, got baptized, but need guidance and gospel truths, a member of your community group who needs to be reminded both of Jesus' high standard, but even higher and more glorious grace that's real for them. Even your pastors and leaders need to be encouraged through the good news that God accepts us as we are and not as we should be through Jesus Christ. I need to be hearing that too. So please encourage me. But you'll say, but Ryan, this is my busy season. I I travel. Some of you will say 15 weeks out of the year. I I have, you know, my kids' lunches to make and have to drive them around. Some of you are like, I don't even have a car and struggle to even make lunches. So I'm trying to figure it all out. How can I possibly get and stay ready to invest both in Christian relationships here and my non-Christian relationships out there? The answers might be more simple than you think. We're not going to have a seminar this morning. It's a simple truth that the gospel must saturate your life. It's what fuels Judas and Silas. The gospel is what fuels Paul and Barnabas. It's what fuels Mark and Timothy They get this letter that reaffirms this almost too good to be true news that God has done for us what we couldn't do. And that he's given us life now and forever to have radical effectiveness and bear fruit and have life in abundance while we live now. It motivates them. It fuels them. So this news must be constantly reaffirmed in us if we hope to naturally live out, live and, and sort of out of the overflow of our lives 
give to Christians and non-Christians what they most need, and that is the gospel. Like, if we hope for it to be something very natural to share with others, then we have to be drinking it in for ourselves. So rather this morning to give you a, a set of verses to memorize or a, a, a pair of religious exercises to do, I want to encourage you just to integrate some gospel rhythms into your life. There's some gospel rhythms into your already existing life and, and show, how, show you how in our text, integrating the gospel deep down into our lives prevents us from being distracted, from wasting our time and thus our lives. Listening, saturating, Sorry, listening, sacrificing, and celebrating as part of our everyday life helps us get the gospel more integrated. And so first of all, listen every day. Listen. Listen to the life of Jesus, not only as you read it in the Bible, but as he plays in 10,000 places. One of my favorite authors, uh, Eugene Peterson, wrote, wrote a book of, of meditations, a collection of meditations called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. And his sort of thesis of the book was this, that Christ is like a song. He's not only written his life in this book, but he plays all around the world we live in, like a song, like a melody. And we only have to attune our ears to listen to that melody playing. And you can hear it, and you can see Christ everywhere. His compassion plays through the person who yields to you on West Bay Road, letting you through on that roundabout. It's a simple act. But it's an act of compassion. His tenderness in a seven-mile beach sunset, right? His patience when your child listens to your frustration and asks, says, you know, I'm sorry, Mom. (laughs) Or, Dad, that must stink. That happens. That is a way that Christ is showing himself to us. When when a truth, Christ's truth plays when a word is uttered at 10 a.m. and it doesn't leave by 6 p.m. It's like, God, Jesus, you might be trying to say something to me here. Christ is playing all around our lives. And if we attune our hearts to it, if we listen out for it, we can see Christ everywhere. So first of all, listen. Also, sacrifice. Every day, make one conscious decision to act against our self-serving interests because Jesus did to the uttermost. Like, think about that in our lives. Do, Do we make one sacrifice a day Just because Jesus sacrificed for us. Because he said, I want you to not do that. Or I want you to do that. A chore that's not yours. Or getting off the sofa to help someone the extra mile. Taking five minutes to pray for someone who's never really been very nice to you. Or a visit to the pines to work with the elderly. Though some of them there may not remember that you ever visited. Just making that sacrifice. And as you do so, reminding yourself of the sacrifice Jesus made for you to the uttermost. And then finally, celebrate. Reminding yourself of the resurrection through celebration. Celebrate what only God could have done in your life. An answer to prayer, the strength to endure, a provision in your life out of nowhere. These are all tangible evidences of the resurrection. Life from death, joy from sorrow, hope from despair. Where do you see these that work in your life? I'm just giving you guys examples of these rhythms. I'm asking you to think of ways you see this at work in your life listening to the life of Jesus playing all around you, the sacrifices, little ones that God calls you to make, connecting that back to Jesus, the sacrifice, and celebrating things that only God can do and has done in your life. Not practicing these to tick the box, but but because you wish to get the gospel deep down into your life, into your soul, until it becomes part of your life.
when the gospel gets integrated into our lives, we can invest like we've always wanted to in other people without distraction. That's our third point this morning. So, so this, is, this is kind of the message really in a nutshell. Let me say it this way first, that when the gospel fuels our life, we are ready to strengthen current disciples and make new ones without distraction. It's a longer nutshell than I'd like, but it's not simple. The simple part is this. Get the gospel in your life more. Think on it. Meditate on it. Use it in the rhythms of your life. In our passage, see guys, we see a a few potential distractions. I get distracted constantly from from the work God has called me to do to invest in you guys and, and make new disciples. There are little things that distract me all the time. And we see those kinds of distractions in our passage today. Potential distractions to strengthening and multiplying with the gospel. We see a few of them. I'm just going to address two. We see distracting partnerships, and we see a savior complex. Let me talk about distracting partnerships first. Look at chapter uh, 15, verse 37 through 40. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them with them, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. There arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him, sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed. So what happens here could have been a tremendous distraction, right? This happens in churches all the time. People have disagreements about things. And when they have those disagreements, whether it's casually talking about God, talking about the church, talking about Christianity, or whether it's serious among church leaders, or something that you're really passionate about, it can be distracting from the work God has called us to do. This work of investing in other people with the gospel. Right? And it could have been incredibly distracting here. Here we have these two church leaders. These two men who are pillars for God. Who have been used mightily to spread the gospel. And they couldn't agree. We don't know exactly what happened. But it seems like the mission became too hard for this, this, this young man Mark to handle. This left Paul bitterly disappointed, and it stuck with him. And Barnabas just shows a little more patience and grace. Paul likely said something to this effect. Look, Mark has failed us. He quit. The mission is not for quitters. How can we really rely on him when the going gets tough again? He'll probably just, he probably just quit or has to take a break or has to go on vacation. To which Barnabas likely said, Paul, but that's, that's not right. Mark is young. Young men make mistakes. You know, they're, they're like, they often go up like a firework in their passion and burn out, flame out quickly. Maybe he, he just got fearful or worn out. Let's give him another chance. Paul said no. Barnabas said yes. And they could not agree. Again, two men used mightily for the gospel. So it was better for the gospel that they go their separate ways. And by the way, that's not always a bad thing. In fact, we're, told, we're not told here it's a bad thing. In fact, they were commended by the brothers to the grace of God, we're told in verse 40. In other words, everyone was in agreement. This is probably a good thing that you guys go your separate ways. And if the good news is really as good and powerful as advertised, we'll do whatever it takes to prevent distraction from sharing it. It's so important that sometimes we have to go a separate way from someone who's so close to us. It occasionally means separating. Now, I'm not saying we should always do that. I'm not saying, in fact, our first move should always be to try to reconcile with someone, to get the log out of our own eyes, say, here's how I've wronged you. I want to reconcile with you. But sometimes there's just a fundamental disagreement. And this has happened even at sunrise. I think of my uh, friend, maybe you are Sean Glidden. 
He wanted to be a part of helping a young couple start a church plant dedicated entirely to being a hub for foreign missions. So he went to a different part of the island. He left us, went to a different part of the island to do that. He would have been distracted from the mission to which God had called him had he stayed here. Because while Sunrise cares about foreign missions, it's not all we care about. He would likely have been distracted staying here. So the gospel was multiplied. Now, Sean and I both get to serve on a board to help a missions organization in Honduras. He was over at my house a few weeks ago. We met together, and we served together, and the gospel effectiveness was multiplied, see. My friend and our former pastor, former associate pastor, Rich Bulbring, man, what, this is an awesome guy. I miss him. He loves Jesus. He was incredibly missional, hospitable. It would have been a distraction for him to stay here. It would have been a distraction to investing the gospel in his own family to stay with Sunrise. Because his family was having a hard time here. And they tried and they tried. It just didn't work out. And so we went our separate ways. He, and he's such a light back in Port Elizabeth, South Africa, where he now lives. And as a result, we received Pastor Brett and Kim. In other words, multiplication was done in God's purposes. Our friends, J.P. and Lisa Wellman. J.P. has wanted to, since I think he was like 10 years old, to start a church plan of a specific denomination. It's like in his veins. It would have been a distraction for him to start, to, to continue in a non-denominational church. Now we get to pray and encourage him for another healthy church. And a member of his former community group stepped up to start her own community group. Again, gospel multiplication happens. God uses sometimes separating for gospel multiplication. So if, if, if you find yourself in Sunrise and it's not working out with a ministry team head, a community group leader, a pastor, a prayer partner, make every effort to reconcile. But if it becomes a distraction to the gospel's work, if it becomes a distraction to investing in other people, you're consuming your energy, your time, your thought, because you can't get along with someone. Sometimes it's, it's the best thing to have an honest conversation, pray together, and move on. And if you're your first time here this morning, you're like, wow, Ryan, you've, you've actually shared with me uh, about like six people who've left the church, and you've shown me a way I can get out of the church if I need to. Like, what, what's what's the deal? What's the deal here at Sunrise? Uh, I preach sermons of church shrinking proportions, <laughs> but really, it, it's 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 this. It's this. We we don't care about growing our little our little clique. The elders and I don't care about growing our little clique. The community group leaders and I don't care about growing. We we want to strengthen disciples. And we want to make new ones. And if that means sometimes if people go their separate ways, then praise God because we know he can use it when it's done right and it's done well. The gospel also prevents us, guys, from a savior complex. I just want to read this briefly. Chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. You notice that Paul tries to go to all these different regions, but he's forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. They go to Mysia. They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them so they go to Troas. Now, what is happening here? What's happening is that they head west from Antioch through Derby. They pick up Timothy. They keep heading west, and they try to go south to Asia. God says, no, don't go there. Then they try to go uh, north to Bithynia, and again, God says, no, don't go there. So here's, here's the, what you want to imagine. They're walking 300 miles past a bunch of non-Christians, and they want to share the gospel with all these non-Christians, and they just walk right past them. 
And this is an important lesson for us guys when we see people like Paul and Silas walk right past these folks. It's an important lesson for us. I don't know exactly why God does this, but sometimes he shuts doors with the best candidates for the gospel, the most obvious persons in whom to invest. But if you keep trying, when he's saying, you know what, you just got to let this go, then it will distract you from what he's calling you to. You will start to forget that he is the Savior, and you'll start thinking that you are. It's called the savior complex. You try to save every person around you. You try to rescue every person around you. And I want to explain this for some of you because you need to hear this. You are not responsible for another person's salvation. You are not responsible for another person's salvation. Nor are you responsible, ultimately, for another person's growth. The gospel says that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves which also means that Jesus does for someone what you can't do for them. Now, he might use you, and he might not, but it's God who makes a person grow. And the more the gospel gets down deep in us, the more we will trust God with these closed doors, because ultimately it's up to him to save. So again, in a nutshell this morning, when the gospel fuels our lives, we're ready to strengthen current disciples, make new ones without getting distracted. And we want to be ready for this. Because you never know when God's going to call you to strengthen a fellow believer or to make a new one, to make a new disciple. I just got back uh, this last week from 11 days away from you guys and from my family. Uh, The first seven days I was away, I spent uh, with our mission partners in Honduras. Uh, The last four days, I was performing a wedding of our own uh, Michael and Rachel uh, Kennedy who flew me up to California. And I sort of thought in my mind, here's how this trip would go. I'm going on a missions trip. That will be the mission. This is where I'm going to get to go share Jesus with people who don't know about Jesus. I have these cool little Evangel Cube things which like show the gospel of Jesus and kids can take them and they can look at them and we can make new Christians and God will work in their life such that we'll see new disciples made. That's what I thought. Then I thought, you know, I'm going to go to this wedding to encourage our friends to be there for them which was the exact opposite. The team in Honduras, by the way, did an amazing job. Thank you, Joanna, Omar, Chris, Marna. But I think the way God chose to use me is to encourage those leaders up there, Joe and Belkis Denton. Uh, here's just a picture of Joe up here you'll see with a machete. It shouldn't alarm you. Um, he's a great guy. But I had an opportunity to go early and just spend some time with them, just to pray with them, read the Bible with them, spend some time sharing together. And it was amazing. In fact, up on that mountain, you'll see right there is a new property. And that particular day, Joe really opened up his heart and shared some ministry burdens. Because sometimes people who are in ministry can't share with people who aren't. And he just unloaded his heart, and we got to pray together, and it was so great. And then when I got to this wedding, I flew, you know, 14 hours through various places, got to this wedding, got to, to, to sort of preach the gospel in like six or seven minutes. And I got to tell you guys, it was amazing. Like God used it so much that after the service, I got to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus in full with three or four different people. And three or four more, I got to answer different questions about suffering and prayer and who Jesus is. And here's my point in saying all this. We just don't know who we're going to get to invest in, but we we should be ready. We should be ready. Let's make every effort to be ready with the gospel by getting it into our own lives, to listen sacrifice, celebrate with the rhythm of our daily lives. Listen out for the life of Christ that plays in 10,000 places. To get reminded through the pain of our small sacrifice 
of Jesus' sacrifice at the uttermost and celebrate the moments where God exercises power over death, life where there's none, joy from sorrow and hope from despair. Let's pray. God, we might ask ourselves and frequently what to do with our time. Where is it most valuable? And God, I hope and pray for those of us who call ourselves Christians that we want to spend the bulk of our life investing in other people and loving our neighbor. Where should we spend it, Lord? This passage sort of helps us with this, that we're going to have opportunities in our life to invest in our Christian relationships and our non-Christian relationships. And there's a lot of pressure to do that, Lord. We, we feel a responsibility to encourage our fellow Christians to strengthen them, but also to be able to share the good news about Jesus with those who don't yet know him. There's a simple solution, and that is just integrating, absorbing, drinking deeply of the gospel of Jesus Christ through all of our lives, remembering his sacrifice on our behalf, and seeing his resurrection power at work within us. We're so grateful for this free gift of knowing God forever. God, help us integrate that more fully into our lives. Help us be people who are all about the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.